Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Truly, Lord, answer the lyrics of that hymn. Move among us this morning through the word of God. Speak to us this morning through your power. Because all authority on heaven and earth has been granted unto you. And so pour it out upon this place for our growth, for our greater appreciation of your precious Son, our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Listen to God's holy word coming to us from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Just a disclaimer at the beginning here, this is really a first part of a two-part sermon. Um, Here we arrive at the final mountaintop of Matthew, the final mountaintop of Jesus' ministry. And do you know that we actually began this gospel... On November 18th, 2018, as a congregation. So we are pretty much dead on the mark of two years where primarily we have been going through the Gospel of Matthew with a few interruptions here and there. But, uh, and we have re- reached these final verses. This is Matthew's final mountaintop. He has told us so much about Jesus in this gospel on mountains, from the Sermon on the Mount to Mount Olives to, of course, the mountain of Calvary, and to now the final mountaintop. And actually, this mountaintop was foreshadowed, foretold by Jesus that they would be learning from him after his resurrection on this mountain in Galilee. He tells us this in Matthew 26, verse 32. And so our passage begins with these soon-to-be apostles who have seen all of these wonderful prophecies and all these wonderful fulfillments in their lifetime. Meeting with Jesus, who was the Lord over heaven and earth. And they begin to worship Him. And yet... Did you notice the second half of verse 17? Because while a most remarkable worship service is taking place in our text atop a mountain, the three-year-long disciples of Jesus, while they are worshiping their risen Lord, Matthew tells us that some still doubted. They were hesitant to believe Jesus was who he appeared to be. 
These 11 saw with their eyes the very things that we've been slowly going through for two years now. They saw him walk on water. They saw him raise the dead. They saw him heal the sick. They saw him give sight to the blind. They saw him cure the lepers. They saw him raise the dead. They saw him control the weather, control the waves. They heard the Father declare, This is my Son. They saw the Spirit descend on him like a dove. They saw John the Baptist declare that he was the Messiah they had been waiting for. They saw him fulfill Scripture after Scripture after Scripture. In the case of John, they even saw him die. And to be raised again three days later. And yet, as Matthew records it, they still doubted. Some still doubted. And this tells us a great many things. First, it tells us these disciples were not some wishful thinkers on the mountaintop of Galilee. These were, this was not a group of gullible individuals who threw caution to the wind and Jesus just picked these skeptical, I mean, these easy to deceive disciples. He picked people with a healthy dose of skepticism. They understand, even though for most of them, they've seen Jesus at least two or three times now risen from the dead. They understand that they're still, you know, they're wrestling with whether or not they understand it all. It shows that even for the disciples themselves, even after three years of teaching, they have a long way to go to reach maturity in the faith. Sure, we've had our own moments where we've struggled with the, to wrestle with the reality of Jesus. And the question, I believe, is for us here today as well. Matthew puts this in our text because he knows he's concluding his gospel. And he wants to ask you the very same thing. Because while we haven't witnessed this with eyes, only eyes of faith, hopefully, do we really believe in Jesus? Or do we still have our doubts? Do we really believe in His life, His death, and resurrection? These verses should be sobering to us all because if the disciples still had their doubters, how many of us still have doubts with make it hard for us to richly and to truly come to our Lord in worship of Him and to be changed by Him and to be transformed by Him because the instructions He's about to give are going to be instructions that really command us to be changed, to be transformed. And so doubt is not going to be helpful. It also shows that we needed another helper, that the work of God is not finished in Jesus Christ alone. But we needed the Holy Spirit. We needed that day of Pentecost. We needed the outpouring of the Spirit, Holy Spirit that changed our hearts from hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. We need a spirit that can override that little voice that pops up in our head. Am I just, am I just following a fairy tale? Is this, is this Jesus thing really true? Are, are what these apostles have testified of, is it? Is it just some wishful thinking I have? We need a spirit whom we can cry out to and say, Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. The mere fact that Matthew admits they still struggle with doubts 
with Jesus after the resurrection, after they had seen him raised, gives us all permission to be a little more honest and to wrestle with the things we have come to learn about Jesus. God's not interested in us being blind and gullible followers of him, only believing in him for, for reasons that aren't mature and rich and spirit-driven. He wants you to wrestle with your doubts. He wants me to wrestle with my doubts so that we all might worship him more boldly and more authentically. I remember thinking in my youth, and I sometimes pray this way, if I could just have you answer this prayer, God, then I'm going to believe in you. You know, if you just give me that Nintendo, you know, Nintendo for Christmas, then I'll believe in you, God, or something like that. And yet... Matthew stops this idea right in its path when he says in the second half of verse 17, hey, we saw the entire thing. We saw every miracle, every great event. We even saw his risen body. And at the end of it, when we worship Jesus after the resurrection, we still had disciples doubting him at that moment. You're going to need more. You're going to need a work of the Spirit to crush your doubts. It's easy to fake a relationship with Jesus. I know from personal experience. Uh, for 19 years of my life, I faked it. But God is not so easily fooled. Whether you're an apostle or a person in the pew, when doubts cre- creep in, we need a faith that is sustained by God, that's given from God, that comes from God, and that holds us together through the power of the Spirit. If you struggle with doubts, it's okay to admit that this morning. And to allow God to fill those shortcomings, to fill those voids of faithlessness. And now we reach the final three verses of this gospel. Matthew's final quote from Jesus. And before we look at Jesus' last words, I just want you to think a little bit about last words that we often give. You know, for instance, if I'm having somebody watch my dogs or, or maybe I have a babysitter for the kids. What is usually the the final kinds of things we say to somebody who's taking care of something we care about when we go. What what are the basic principles we try to follow? I would say for most of us, we usually leave somebody with some distilled final objective. You know, like the bare minimum that they got to follow. Like my dog needs its medication both in the morning and the night or Or remember, my child is allergic to this food and needs to be in bed by 9 o'clock. We summarize, we distill the most important thing. And in one sense, I believe that's what Jesus is doing here in these final three verses of Matthew. And Jesus begins by declaring that he reigns both in heaven and earth today. We like to believe half of that. When we lose somebody, when we think about heaven, we don't really have a problem imagining the fact that in heaven right now, both angels and and the saints are gathered in the presence of the Lord, worshiping the Lord. But we struggle to believe at times that all authority has been given to Jesus on earth today. I mean, I even had a pastor talk to me in the year of our Lord 2020 um, a couple months ago and said to me the 
the following. They told me that they couldn't believe in a God that allows for something like COVID to happen in this world that allows for a year like 2020. That, that must be outside his control. And to be candid, that pastor doesn't really believe in the Jesus of Matthew 28, 18. And that's not the first pastor I've seen in my life who's done mental gymnastics in order to create a world or a reality where Jesus has little to no authority in the events that are going on right now here upon the earth. Jesus doesn't say he has a little bit of authority on earth today, but he says that he has all authority. Authority over every microbe. Authority over who reigns in the seats of government. There is nothing out of his grasp in this world. Jesus makes this clear before he heads out the door. That nothing in both heaven and earth is outside his power and authority. And do you remember what Satan had offered Jesus back in Matthew chapter 4? Jesus... Satan had taken Jesus to a tall mountain and offered on that tall mountain Jesus all power and authority over the earth. And Jesus, of course, said no. And yet yet now, here in Matthew 28, the tables have turned. Jesus can now declare, I've received that power. That power that Satan tried to offer me 24 chapters ago in this gospel. But instead of receiving that power from Satan, I have received that power through my Father. Through being obedient to His will. And I have received the reward, the honor, the glory due my suffering. Jesus rules over it all. Everyone. Everybody. And everything. And the question then becomes for us, Have we truly submitted to his reign in the here and now? You and I can leave this place of worship after worship and never look back. We can never darken the door of a church again. We can never pray to Jesus again. We can never desire to live by his commands again. And yet that wouldn't mean he's in any less power. All it would mean is we are a rebel or a revolutionary And will eventually be judged by the king of heaven and earth if we do not submit to him. And after Jesus declares his kingly authority, he gives us six instructions to follow. Packed into a verse and a half. And the first is to go. Go. That's the first instruction. Jesus is saying, because I have all power. That's why the therefore is therefore. That's what it's there for. If we're his, we're supposed to go out and do something. To leave our places of comfort. To leave our routines and patterns and habits. And and to order to go to places where we might be less comfortable. To maybe encounter new kinds of people. Not within our normal spheres. I often have people joke with me about how crazy it is to have someone who made the pastoral move from Las Vegas to Waxhaw, Pennsylvania. Because that's a common one, of course, right? Vegas to Waxhaw. And the fact is, the reality is, and it really began with all six of us, we all in our own unique ways heard the voice of God telling us to go. 
to move from the pattern of life we had in Las Vegas, to leave that one sphere of comfort in order to go serve into another. And as God continued to distill that through prayer, through seeking his will for us, it became clear for all of us that we were called to be here at Old Goshenhoppen. And while God's go for you, I, I don't expect to move everybody across the country like the parks here. It doesn't mean that the principle of what Jesus is saying here isn't still here for you this morning. Are you willing to go? Are you willing to sacrifice for the sake of others when Jesus calls upon you to, in order to follow him? But to go and do what? And that's the second instruction in this verse and a half. We are called to go and to go make disciples. Notice it's not to get someone to say a prayer one time. There is an entire segment of the Christian church that counts it as success to get somebody to say a prayer one time. You have to go and make a disciple, a lifelong follower of Jesus, who is in it for the long haul, help make people who come under the authority of Jesus and allow Jesus to both discipline them and disciple them by his words. And where should we find such people? And that comes to the third point. We are to go looking into all the nations. But it's really more than all the nations. This is one of those times in the English, I don't know why translators get translated the way they do. Because it's from the Greek word ethnos, which sounds like what English word? Ethnicity. So this instruction is to go to all ethnicities. All ethnicities are fair game. Jew or Gentile, Pennsylvania Dutch, suburbanite Philadelphian, millennial, boomer, my generation, generation X. All means all. All ethnic groupings, all places are worthy to be called. Jesus wants them all. And he has the power and authority to reach them all. And so he sends us. He says, go. Go. Reach such individuals regardless of ethnicity. And when we reach them, what are we encouraged to do? First, to be baptized. To receive the sacrament of baptism. And what are the instructions of performing this baptism? Well, Jesus in his fifth instruction makes it clear. We are to baptize in the singular name. It's not names. It's not plural in the Greek. But the one name of God in the singular. That is, the, and the one God is seen in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That one name above all names, and yet it's three names in that one name. One God and yet three recognizable persons. Jesus desires his authority to be used to baptize people into the name of God. And after baptism, then what? Well, that's time for the last instruction Jesus leaves us with before he goes out the door in this Gospel of Matthew. He says, teach those who have been baptized to observe and to conform to the commands of Jesus. Jesus. 
So for you parents who have baptized your children, now is the time for teaching them to look more like Jesus, to conform to his image, to observe how he lived in our midst so that they might be little Christs that look like him. Go and do that. Because all authority on heaven and earth has been given to Jesus today, and he desires you to do that. Make that the most important thing you teach in your household. Break up your comfortable patterns and routines in order to go and to make your children disciples. But also, this applies to all of us who have been baptized. We are to be taught and also still teaching in our own ways, whether publicly or by example. From the pastors to the young child in the pew, we are to be learners and yet also at times instructors in different roles, of course, but a living community of thought centered around learning more about Jesus for the end goal of living and looking more like Jesus in the way that he's called us to live. And as the women and the children have learned in the Hebrew study, it just can't be given in a bunch of laws, in a list of laws like the Mosaic law. That Mosaic law was un able to change the heart. The teaching needs to be spirit-inspired, grace-based, and gospel-focused. And this education has an end goal, that it might grow us and those who are in community to look more faithfully like Christ. And right about now, if you're really appreciating Jesus' instructions, they should be overwhelming to you. Because we are creatures of routine, of patterns and comfort. We get anxious and nervous when someone tells us to go and do something we don't naturally want to do. We like to stick with a small circle of friends and family. We don't naturally want to go seek out people of different backgrounds than ourselves and to teach them about Jesus. And yet, have you begun to realize there really are only two types of Christians in this world? Christians striving to follow and to honor these final instructions and commands that are called the Great Commission and those Christians who are actively disobeying what the landowner has asked of us. This is a big ask from Jesus. And we might practically want to say to Jesus before he heads out the door of Matthew's Gospel, do you see how impossible these final instructions all sound, Jesus? And how this is going to entirely upend the life that I've grown to love. Don't you know what people might do to me? How they might mock me? How they might reject me? How they might find me intolerant and hateful? Don't you know, Jesus, how unlikely it is I can accomplish anything great? And yet Jesus gives the remedy in his final statement for such doubts. I've had them, and if you've ever truly wrestled with these set of instructions of Jesus, you have too. Jesus gives us the remedy to doubts in the second half of verse 20. He says, behold. But it's really more than behold. It's, it's a, in the Greek word for look. But it's not just like look within. The look here in the Greek is actually look outside yourself. Jesus closes with saying, you want to be able to do this? Then look outside yourself and look at me. 
I pictured Peter out on the water back in Matthew chapter 14 as I really considered this word behold. And when Peter, of course, he beheld Jesus, he got out into the water and he was able to withstand the obstacle of the stormy waves. He was able to defy even gravity itself, the laws of physics itself, in order to walk on water. He could defy the entire universe so long as he looked outside of himself and he looked to Christ. And yet when he stopped beholding Jesus, what did he do? Peter sank like a rock. You know, I remember early on in the ministry, I was so insecure about every little thing I did. I, I constantly, I, I would send my recordings to, to and fro, and I needed, you know, to hear people's approval or feedback or what have you. And, and I thank God, and well, I still, you know, I'll ask my wife. She's blunt and candid, and I love that. Eh, it was a dud, honey. You know, I was not good. Or, eh, it was pretty good. Liked what you did there. Um, but beyond my wife, I really, I really have kind of developed out of that. And in part because the Spirit has allowed me to come to realize that my seeking approval from others is actually a failure to just behold Jesus and to trust in Him and to trust in His power and authority. I already know I'm not really capable of doing anything great when it comes to my own wisdom, when it comes to things like Sunday school or, or here at the pulpit. But I do know the one I behold. And I do know what his power allows to happen. And if he so desires in that power to do something with it, then he can do something with it. And Jesus calls you as well to the same kind of faith, to just look to him. When you have doubts and you're, you're not wanting to trust in him, just look to him. And so, as Jesus' words close in Matthew, he wants us to defy all logic and reason. He wants us to leave our patterns and worldly routines. And to really begin listening to his imparting instructions of what we're called to do as a follower of Christ. And he's saying to us, look at me. I'm always going to be with you. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. Until the world itself ends, I will be with you. And that's how billions of people have come to believe in this one who, one afternoon, 11 people doubted, had degrees of doubts on a mountaintop in Galilee. They began to start looking at Jesus to behold him in a new way. And when they did, they could defy the odds. And they began to go and to spread the gospel throughout the world. Because Jesus was more than powerful to use their lives for his purposes and for God's glory. Jesus is with us right now. The Lord of heaven and earth is with us right now in this sanctuary. Jesus will be with us during the week. And he said, I want you to behold me. I want you to share with others who I am. I want them to be baptized and taught. I want you to go from places you're comfortable in and be willing to go to any ethnicities and any place if I so call you to go. You know, one thing that this year has proven to me, I always knew this, but really this year has impressed this idea upon me. 
it's shown how important it is for us to be faithful to these final instructions by Jesus. Because let's be candid for a moment. Part of this year's widespread panic is because we tend to avoid doing the tough work of asking ourselves, what do we believe about life and death? What do we believe about Jesus' authority and his power? Where do they both begin and where do they both end? There are a lot of people right now in our world that are in utter fear due to COVID or other reasons. And Jesus is with us right now saying, hey, there is nothing outside my control. There is nothing outside my power. So go, my disciples, share with them, teach them, minister to those doubts minister to their fears, wash them in the waters of baptism, teach them about the true God and his commands. Do this, my child, have faith in me, my child, because I am with you. I'm your God and I'm with you right now. You know, when we first looked at this gospel in the Advent season of 2018, We reached a point in chapter 1 where Joseph is about to divorce Mary quietly. He's about to sever the engagement. And then he has a dream. And the angel approaches him in that dream. And through that dream, Matthew records that Joseph came to really learn the principle that this child was to be the Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? It means God with us. And how is this gospel ending? With Jesus saying, I'm the Emmanuel. I'm the God always with you. All authority has been given to me on heaven and earth, and I am always with you. Please trust in me. It seemed too good for Joseph and Mary at first to be true, and yet that is exactly what Jesus' final teaching on this mountain is. He's saying, I am Emmanuel to you. I am the God who is with you. I will always be with you. Behold me. Look at me. Do amazing things through me. Tell others of who I am. Have courage. Understand that nothing is outside my power. Be obedient to me. Be fruitful and multiply, not just to your own kind, but with anyone, but to all. This is his command to us. So how obedient have we been? to this last teaching of the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus has asked us all to go and do amazing things because he now is in power, in full power, both on heaven and earth. Satan can never offer it again. So how faithful have we been to his call? How have we been following our Lord's parting instruction to share the good news of God with others? Is the personal work of Jesus... Is that just something we have doubts about or something that is our joy to share with others? To share with those who do not believe. Hmm. Let us pray. Gracious Father, you have given a son for a purpose and he has left us with instructions. He has left us with a command. He desires for us to bring more people into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, to be discipled by his words. And and Father, we confess that as we look at this year, 
of 2020, there is ample opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus, to have courage, to give people the great light in the darkness. And yet, Lord, in varying ways, none of us in this room have been perfectly faithful to that call. Help give us a greater courage through the power of the Spirit. Help us to be centered upon the mission of Jesus Christ. Help us, if it so requires us, to reorder our lives so that this becomes a primary focus of our lives. Ask these things through Jesus' name. Amen.